Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Okay, so what do you think our season two chances are? I have no idea. This is a really hard business. It is. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 19 years, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. This week, we're going to dive into our overflowing mailbag and spend the whole episode answering your questions. This is so exciting. Yes, it's been a while, Sarah, since we've done a listener questions episode. And we have a lot to get to (laughs) because the questions kind of pile up and we're like, oh my God, there's so many good questions. We can't answer them all. So today we're going to make some headway. (laughs) But before we get to our first question, we have a question for all of you, our listeners. Episode 8 of The Fix aired on Monday. There are two episodes left. It's coming to its thrilling conclusion. Yeah, and I just want to interject that episode 8 was one of our very favorites. Yes. Oh, my God. Directed by Michael Cattleman, who we call an angel Beautiful directing. Amazing acting. But we want to know. And wait, isn't that also Brooke's first episode of TV? Yes, Brooke Turner's first episode of television. So watch episode eight and just like take that moment and see Brooke Sitgraves Turner on the screen. It's so exciting. In case you forgot, was our former assistant who was on the show many, many times and who was a staff writer on The Fix. But we want to know, from what you've seen, who do you think the killer is? Mm. Who killed Jessica? Was it Sevy? Was it someone else? People have all sorts of theories. So we want to know from you, who do you think killed Jessica? So email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. And remember to tweet hashtag the fix and hashtag the fix ABC. A lot of people are tweeting who they think it is. It's fascinating to us to hear from viewers all the various theories. Yeah, Sarah, one person already emailed us their guess. Peter said... Since it's no fun to write a whodunit without fans speculating about who killed Jessica Meyer, I'm officially voting for Matthew Collier as the killer. Mm. The motivation for the murder is Matthew is having an affair with Jessica. Matthew doesn't believe that Alan Weiss should be the DA and wants the job for himself. He said something to the effect that the incompetent rise to the top concerning the DA— 
Jessica probably told Matthew that she wanted him to divorce his wife. Matthew killed her and brought in Maya because he thought she would pursue Sevy Johnson. Matthew may have also been afraid that Lonnie and CJ would figure out that he was the killer. We know Lonnie figured out that Ezra Wolf was having huge gambling losses. Mm, now, that is a very complicated, uh, you know, sort of scenario there. Yeah, intricate. Could I be, like it. Could be. By the way, if you have no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> our show, The Fix, airs Monday nights at 10, 9 central on ABC, and it's very bingeable. So catch up yes. now before the big season finale in a couple weeks. All right. And now let's dive in. Yes. Our first email is quite short. Heather emailed, I was wondering what books, if any, would you recommend about screenwriting? Well, here's our favorite book, which is not about screenwriting, but it's our favorite book about writing, and that is Stephen King's book, On Writing. It's called On Writing. (laughs) (laughs) On Writing, On Writing. Um, And it's also sort of an autobiography. Yeah, it's just the most engaging, beautifully written, inspiring Gems of Wisdom yes. kind of book. It's absolutely some every writer should read it um, yeah. or listen to it because he reads it on Audible and he has such a great voice and, you know, it's just yeah. a delight. I've read it, I think, at least twice, but I might get it. I have an Audible credit. That would be so fun. Oh, it's fantastic on Audible. Another book on writing that's not about screenwriting, and I guess the theme here, Sarah, is we think Screenwriting is is writing. Yeah. Right? Good writing is good Um, writing. Anne Lamott's book, Bird by Bird. Also a a bit autobiographical. It's just, uh, I mean, anytime I am thinking about how to sort of approach a script or a scene, I think bird by bird, bird by bird, bird by bird, you know, directly from her book. It was profoundly impactful for me. You know I love mugs, and um, (laughs) our friend Lisa Randolph had made a mug for a show that said Bird by Bird, Uh and Adam brought it home for me. So (laughs) I have a mug that says Bird by Bird. Nice. And then a classic book is Robert McKee's book, Story. Yes, and that Um, is about screenwriting. That is about screenwriting, and it's about the hero's journey. And I think it's very useful just to sort of think about archetypes and story structure. Yeah. I actually went to Robert McKee's seminar back back in the day and found it very useful. Before um, we even moved here, Yes, right? when I was doing um, young adult books. I was editing young adult books for a company that's now Alloy. And they sent me because, again— these things, just because something was about screenwriting, it also translated into writing books, the mm-hmm. story structure and the hero's journey. So um, I found that very useful when we started. Yes. And then another classic book, Liz, that we should mention is Save the Cat by Blake Snyder. I haven't read it. Mary finds it incredibly useful. Yeah, she said when she's stuck, she'll go and look at it because it's very... It really gives you structure, like on page 15, this should be happening, and end of Act 1. And so it's very practical. We love that. Yes. Structure is, you know, our pet peeve. When things are not structured well, it drives us nuts. We get irritated. Yeah. <laughs> and with ourselves as well. It Absolutely. Be, it should be set. Yes. Rainy emailed, I appreciate how hard you and Sarah have worked to become TV writers and showrunners, yay, in what is still the man's world of Hollywood. Yes, So it, is. it strikes me as incongruous <laughs> that you are such a huge fan of reality TV shows like The Real Housewives. Okay, this is obviously meant for me. 
I don't want to be a killjoy for your guilty pleasure since you work hard, do lots to support and empower other women, and are entitled to spend your downtime any way you wish. But why, oh why, do you find these shows entertaining? I recently watched a documentary called Misrepresentation about how women's portrayal in much of media and entertainment conforms to narrow gendered stereotypes. The movie says reality TV is a contemporary cultural backlash against women's rights. I couldn't agree more and would love to hear why Real Housewives at all are so appealing to you. Liz, take it away. Okay, yeah, this is is all me. You don't watch these shows, so you are not going to um, have much to say here. Well, first of all, she said guilty pleasure, and I just want to be on the record. It's not a guilty pleasure for me. I don't feel whatsoever guilty about it. I feel very proud of my love of the housewives. I want to point out that really smart people love the housewives. Roxanne Gay, for instance. The podcast Bitch Sesh, which I've talked about, hosted Mm -hmm. by Casey Wilson and Danielle Snyder. These women are so smart, okay? So smart people like the housewives. Just want to say that. Here's my thing. These are shows. There's, I think, seven housewife franchises. Shows that star multiple women in their not just 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, okay, who are the stars of the show, who are driving the action, who are living the lives they want to live, who are mixing it up, who are starting businesses. Most of them are very successful businesswomen. Mm -hmm. They use the show as platforms for their businesses. And many, like Bethany Frankel, let's remember, created Skinny Girl. And I think she sold her company for $100 million so or more. So, I mean, to say that, like, this is a non-feminist platform because the women bicker, I mean, that's just fun. It's drama. It's fun. It's soaps. I mean, soaps have always existed as something that people enjoy. This is kind of a modern-day soap opera. But the women, unlike in many soap operas, by the way, where it was just like, oh, could you marry, you know, Mr. Vanderkamp and have him support you and, you know, sort of be a trophy wife, these women are not trophy wives. They are out there doing what they want to do. By the way, there's nothing wrong with being a trophy wife if that's your choice. <laughs> uh, so that's—I love them, and they're smart and funny. Yeah. I don't think people realize right, how— No one's exploiting them. No, no one is exploiting them. Yeah. And I don't think people realize how good the casting is on these shows. Mm. I mean, these women are hilarious, <laughs> most of them. And if they're not smart, dynamic women, they usually end up falling off— out of the cast. So I'm wondering if this woman has ever watched the shows. I think if you've watched them, you might not feel that way. And I also want to point out that a lot of men like them too, whether they admit it or not. <laughs> so that's it. Not I a guilty love pleasure. the housewives. It's not a guilty pleasure. Some people, I always say, some people say they love to hate the housewives, but I just love them. <laughs> And I love listening to you talk about them. Like I'm you very defending, passionate. Yes. You defending your love of the housewives and your love of the Kardashians is like <laughs> one of my favorite things to hear. Thanks. <laughs> Kardashians is different for me, but that's a whole other thing. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Next up, the questions continue, but first an ad break.
Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, Liz, Jess emailed, in a recent episode, Sarah's amazing bag was mentioned. I've been curious to know which bag she decided on, and I can't find it when scrolling through old episode notes. Could you let me know? I'm interested in investing in a professional bag. You do have a gorgeous bag. What is it? Okay, well, it's not the most professional bag. I mean— it, well, I certainly can world, take it, it to is. meetings, but it's not like it doesn't have like organizational mm. things in it and whatever. But yes, the bag that I got and I have been hesitant to share it because it was absurdly expensive <laughs> is the Louis Vuitton Neverfull M.M. Damier. I don't know how to pronounce Ebene. it. Ebene. E-B-E-N-E bag. And it's beautiful. It is. And what I will say is you thought for a long time before you got the bag. You knew you were buying an expensive bag. It is gorgeous and you're going to use it for many years. Yes. And what I love about it is that it's not, we'll post a picture of it now that it's out there that I've spent this money on a bag. We'll post a picture of it in the show notes of this episode. But what I love about it is that it's not kind of the standard Louis Vuitton bag. It has a zigzag red stripe right down the middle of the tote with Anyway, it's just, it's very pretty, and I have never gone out with it and not had someone go like, ooh, I love your bag. Yeah, it's very you also. I think I really associate the color red with you, even though it's not even, I don't know if it's your favorite color. It's kind of become my signature color, I think, I think it is, because yeah. I associate red with you. I like that. So anyway, look for that picture of Sarah's Louis Vuitton Neverfull. It's very pretty. Okay, Taylor emailed, your advice for when friends or colleagues get great opportunities or promotions is to remember that people succeed in groups. And I've always admired that and truly believe that to be true. My question for you is how do you handle this in a setting where you have to be ranked against your peers? I'm in medical school and recently experienced some deep disappointment when I didn't get the honors evaluations I'd hoped for in the specialty I wished to pursue, while a friend of mine did who isn't interested in that specialty at all did get the honors. Unfortunately, in our system, we are ranked against one another based on these criteria, and I'm struggling to be happy for him when I know this puts me as a less attractive applicant in that field and he isn't even considering going into it. Okay, that's hard. That sucks. Uh, Try not to let it get to you. Yes. I mean, here's my advice, because this is what we do, and we're not, like, technically ranked against people, but there are times when someone gets something we really wanted. For instance, Dirty John. Yes, our friend Alex got that. Yes, we really wanted to adapt Dirty John into a TV show, and we didn't get it. Alex got it. And what we tell ourselves is— Alex did it, and it was hugely successful, and she did a fantastic job. And it's like, 
clearly that was meant for Alex. Right. And even though something may seem meant for us, perhaps it was not. Mm -hmm. And perhaps something else will happen in its place that's better. It's hard, and obviously a medical field is not like writing a TV show, but I do think it's the you never know what's good news and bad news. Yeah, and I also think the people succeed in groups thing still holds true. Like, you have a friend who's made himself stand out in that specialty. Maybe tell him that that's Mm. what you're really interested in so that if someone comes to him about it, he can say, you know what, my friend Taylor is really brilliant in this field. Yes. Like, he can become a referral for you. An advocate. Yes. If you embrace the fact that, like, you know, people do succeed in groups, even though he ranked higher than you in that, maybe you can use that because he's not interested to get you one step closer. And I also think, like, give yourself a moment to be petty. (laughs) Go home, stew, feel bad, and then get over it. Yeah. You know, it's like we're all human. We're not saying that, like, we never feel jealousy or we never feel, like, pissed off that we didn't get something that we thought we should get and someone else did and all of that. It's more like just don't live in that feeling. Yes. Acknowledge it. Do whatever you do to make yourself feel better. And then just rise above. Yes. And also remember that passion matters. Mm-hmm. Yes, rankings matter. There's no question. But your passion about your specialty People will feel that and see that, and it really does matter. People say this to us all the time. Yes. If we're just sort of pitching something like, well, eh. somebody could go to the store and do a thing. But if we're like, somebody could go to the store and do a thing, yeah. <laughs> like, it makes a difference. So let people know your passion. Sell your passion. Coming up, more questions, but first this break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, Sarah, Caitlin wrote, do extras wear their own clothes? If not, how does a costume designer source so many different outfits for different body types, etc.? Is this a big expense to a show? This is such a fun question. It is. Well, the answer is yes. The majority of the time, they wear their own clothes. Mm -hmm. They have to bring options. Like, you're told, okay, bring a business suit you know, try to bring options so we can pick what we like. Wear a ball gown, bring an extra ball gown. Yes. (laughs) And what's funny is people may not realize that sometimes extras are actually hired because they have a specialty outfit like a Halloween princess costume for a Halloween scene or if they have a 50 styles dress or something else that's particular. Or sometimes they are hired for a car that they have. Like if they're willing to, Mm. if it's an exterior scene and they're willing to kind of drive their car through a scene and get out, that's a whole other thing. Yes. Now, I will say in like a hospital show, they just hand out like hundreds of scrubs, hundreds (laughs) of scrub outfits. There are times when you do provide the extras, or if it's like a Civil War battle or something. But in just day-in, day-out TV, 
extras are usually in their own clothes. Yeah, and a wardrobe department will have things to augment, like yes. a nice suit or, you know, a nice jacket if you're going to be, like, in the front of the scene or yes. stuff like that. Yes. But for the most part, they're in their own clothes. Yeah, if you're featured, then, yes, you may get outfitted more specifically. Yeah. Um, Good question. Yeah. All right. So, Liz, Kim from our Facebook group wrote, I have worked for decades with varying degrees of success as a songwriter, playwright, and freelance writer, and I'm currently exploring screenwriting. I have always worked alone during the creation process before musicians, actors, and editors become involved. One kitchen, one cook. I am intrigued and intimidated by the concept of creative collaboration, but have no idea how it actually works. This ignorance is based, I'm sure, on fear, vulnerability, fear of vulnerability, and the very popular fraud syndrome. My question is, how does collaboration actually work on a practical level? Break it down for me as if I were an alien just landing on planet collaboration in the galaxy of works well with others. That is so funny. (laughs) I know. Well, first of all, Kim, I suggest that you go back and listen to episode 47, where we talked with Marsha Clark about collaboration. Mm-hmm. It's a really fun episode because we recorded it on location <laughs> at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. It was um, when we were shooting the fix. <laughs> yes, pilot. So imagine our discussion surrounded by tombstones. But collaboration is all about communication. Yeah. Collaboration is really just talking. Yes. And being open to other people's ideas. And with a common goal. So I think how it works, if I was explaining it to an alien, is you get two or more people together in a room, decide on your goal, uh, start discussing how to get there. I think you have to, there's two ways to do it. You can, you need a leader Depending on the size of the group, someone's going to have to take the lead, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm thinking of a sitcom room, writer's room, where Mm -hmm. they actually often write scripts together as a group of 15 people. Right. But someone there is in charge. But if no one's in charge, what we find is usually whoever's most passionate about a point wins. And I think, um, you know, we've talked about the idea of does this move the needle, Mm. Like, there are some things worth fighting for Mm. and some things not worth fighting for. And accepting that another idea is as good as your idea, if it's something that doesn't move the needle, go with the other person's idea. Like, collaboration is really, I think, about just, like, opening your mind Mm to accepting other people's ideas. Well, and and letting your ego accept that other people might have a better idea than you have, which is what she's saying about the vulnerability and the fraud syndrome. It's like fear that your ideas aren't going to be good enough. Yeah. But, and in terms of like the practicality of it, I think it's very helpful in collaboration when you get to a certain point, if you can divide tasks. Yes. So for us, that's writing scenes. Mm-hmm. But if you're in another field, it would be, you know, one person's doing a marketing flyer, one person's talking to suppliers, you know, one person's looking at locations for your event, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. I do think it can be helpful to break up tasks because as we know, although we often just end up doing everything together anyway, (laughs) we're always saying this would be so much more efficient if we would divide tasks. Yeah. And then once tasks have been divided and completed, being open to the notes process. Yes. From your other collaborators. Yes, from your other collaborators. And then giving respectful, positive notes on 
what they've contributed. Yes. And one thing I will say, Sarah, that we have learned over and over again, both between the two of us and in working with Marsha, is that when the idea is the right idea, it's very obvious. Yes. Everybody agrees. Yes. So, for instance, if you are forming a company with people and you're looking for your company's motto or tagline, Mm -hmm. don't stop until you have one that everybody is like, yes, that's the tagline. Yes, because in a functional collaboration, in the best kind of collaboration, the product that comes out of the group should be better than what would come out of the individual. Yes. And look, there will be people you can't collaborate with. And you're just going to learn that over time. I mean, one reason why you and I kept pursuing working with Marsha was because we worked well with her. Right. Had we done that first pilot script that we did with her and it not gone well and it had been like a horrible process where we were all hating each other and, you know, going home miserable, we would have said, okay, (laughs) that's done. But we were like, we love working with Marsha. This is such a great collaboration. We want it to continue. Yes. And so it's part of it is having the right people. You're so right. That's really ultimately the most important thing. Collaborate with people who you have like a real creative spark with. And here's what I'll say if she's worried about the fraud syndrome. Express that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can say to people, I'm feeling insecure about my idea, but let me tell you what it is anyway. I mean, writers do that all the time. Share your fears, and then you can get through them. But don't not collaborate because you're afraid because you will regret it. It's a great thing to do, and when it's going well, it's so much fun and so satisfying and yeah. so productive. Yeah, and give other people the benefit of the doubt, I think. Mm. You know, in a collaborative setting, it's very easy to feel, like, offended or upset by something that someone says or by a tone of voice. And, you know, if your skin is too thin and if you're not sort of giving people the benefit of the doubt, like, you're all just in it. Like, Mm -hmm. you're all just in it with each other. Yes. So give people the benefit of the doubt and then just let it all flow. Yeah. So I hope you collaborate, Kim, and I hope it's a big success. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Thank you so much for all of your amazing questions. If anyone has other questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed, and everyone at Sankola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sankola Sound. Thank you to everyone at Cadence 13. Thank you to our assistant, Mary Merkins. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Speaking of the Onward Project, I want to remind everyone that the Whole 30s creator, Melissa Hartwig Urban, has an amazing new podcast called Do The Thing which you should all check out. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at S. Fain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Sarah, speaking of extras, do you remember when we were on The Shield Mm -hmm. and um, I brought my parents to set Uh and someone thought (laughs) I was an extra and they were like shooing us away (laughs) from 
The Diet Cokes at craft services. Uh, yes. It was so humiliating. I mean, here I'm trying to impress my parents. You're like, I I'm, belong here. And I'm being denied Diet Coke. Oh. It was sad. From the Onward Project.